Welcome to Coach House Talks. Today, we'll be talking about the nature of revelation and prophecy in modern living. The purpose of life is to know God. The purpose of your life is to come into a personal knowledge of God and to deepen this knowledge on a daily basis. Learning about the knowledge of God and the revelation of scripture is to your individual benefit, a great benefit in fulfilling your life's purpose. We will be talking more about this in the coming weeks as an overarching theme. Today, we're gonna narrow down this topic. Specifically, we're going to be talking about the nature of revelation and the role of prophecy in modern living, as well as the importance of studying scripture. As Christians, we believe in a God with particular characteristics. We believe in a God who is holy, righteous, and true. We don't believe in a God who lies when making promises, who kills because the simple act of killing pleases him, or who sends down spirits of confusion to possess believers. That's not how the God we believe in works. The reason we can say this is because God reveals himself to us. There is what we call general revelation, where the knowledge of God is made known to all of mankind through natural means. Romans 1 verse 20 summarizes this idea, saying, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Through observing nature, using reason and philosophy, humans can obtain knowledge of God as general revelation. Then there is special and direct revelation. Some church communities separate the ideas of special and direct revelations, where direct revelation specifically refers to God to man revelations. But for the purposes of this morning, I will group them all under special revelation. The idea that knowledge of God can be discovered through supernatural means, such as miracles, prophecy, or scripture. I want to talk about myself for a moment. When I was quite young, much younger than I am now, around the age of 14, I was getting a bit bored with my daily routine, as many of us want to do. For those who remember, when I was 14, I was reading through all the books on theology and apologetics that year in my school library. There were many authors with different interests and worldviews. And there were a handful of books there that explicitly focused on prophecy and spiritual gifts. 
Unfortunately, I did not have much discernment at the time and just absorbed the material without thinking too deeply about it. I figured I'll just memorize all the books, then think about it. So I developed a small interest towards these matters and temporarily put it aside. However, in the following months, a series of strange events started happening. A visiting speaker in the local church that I attended turned out to be a traveling prophet who would go up, rush up to people, and forcefully push them back into their seats while muttering strange words. I was one of them, one of the people um, that the man pushed back, and the man declared that I would also have the gift of prophecy. Whether or not that turned out to be true is irrelevant. The problem in my story was my understanding and following response to the man's words. Being quite young, I was terrified and excited at the same time. I mean, who wouldn't be? Someone goes up and tells you, hey, you're going to be a prophet. That's cool. More strange events suddenly happened that year. I was somehow inducted into a group that focused on praying away the evil spiritual forces in the neighborhood. A teacher privately handed me some book on how to utilize the spiritual power of the Holy Spirit. I just have to imagine the power to become a sword and slice it up or something. I was even invited to see someone who called themselves a witch hunter. Went to a little house in a little dark room and she said, hey, I'm a witch hunter. And then she spent the next three hours telling me, I know that you must hate your parents a lot. Believe or something like that. In response to all these events, I started subscribing to prophets who would set up live streams or online recordings. I did a basic check on their statement of faith online, as many of us do, and particularly liked it when these prophets committed to sending personal prophecy audio recording files to their subscribers. That means I get a little audio file every month um, telling me, hey, this is the prophecy just for you. And I'll download them all and keep them in a little folder on my computer. I took all of it half seriously. I thought it was great. Even if some of these events were fake, or maybe half of these people were false prophets, I can at least jot down some of the words and prophecies in a notebook to keep a hold in the future. Maybe I'll look back on it and feel really, really good when some of them were fulfilled or something. I don't know. The content did not matter. It was the roller coaster of spiritual experience and immediacy of all these weekly prophecies in my notebook that made me feel great. And more than a decade has passed since then. A lot of things have happened, but I always have very mixed feelings whenever I think back to those times. There is less shame, actually very little shame, 
and more disgust and disappointment towards myself. I also find it very strange whenever I look at some recent Bible commentaries and the authors document this phenomenon because it's not uncommon, it's very common actually, as a kind of dial a prophet style of Christian living. Over the course of this year, we will be looking at topics where we mind the gap. We open up the topic of the knowledge of God and the revelation of scripture by starting today with the theme of studying scripture or dial a prophet. It's a practical problem where many Christians may have, at one point in their lives, myself included, lived for one prophetic fix from one to another. Some still are going through this lifestyle today. Living by faith is good and all, and foundational to being a Christian. But the foundation of this faith, your faith, does not sit in your confidence in having a prophet's personal phone number. Pastor Tom Stipe, the author of the foreword to the book, Counterfeit Revival, seemed to have coined the phrase, dial a prophet. He has, well, he had passed away a few years ago now. Back then, he publicly denounced revival movements that moved away from studying God's words. These revival movements had a selling point of turning away from boring old Bible commentaries and instead focused on inspirations where the bulk of a sermon was mostly stories of a pastor's emotional and spiritual insights into what he heard from God while out on a walk. There was no study, only trying to hear and live by the heartbeat of God. How very romantic. But I would also say that this is very impractical and prone to creative heresy. I want to talk about a passage in 1 Corinthians. For those who remember, 1 Corinthians is a letter Paul writes to the Corinthian church in response to the congregation's questions and reports on many matters, including worship practices and division in the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26 to 33, Paul writes on church conduct. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most, three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet 
in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. If a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should, shop, should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and, and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. There are a few main points that are obvious in this passage. Firstly, we are not here just to receive in the church. We are called to participate, and how and when we participate may differ on the size of our local church and its needs. But we all need to work together so that the church may be built up. In some translations, we read that as, let all things be done for edification. Edification means the improvement of the mind and understanding. We do not meet at a church for your or my individual benefit selfish benefit, that is. We meet so that we all generously improve. The next point is this. There are expected behaviors for those who prophesy and those who listen to the prophecy. It does not matter if the person who prophesies is a good person or is well-respected in the church. It does not matter if the people listening to the prophecy are good people or well-respected in the church. It does not matter what you or I want, whether you want more spiritual experiences or maybe on the other side of the coin, less talk of spiritual gifts at all. What does matter is that an educated order is respected and expected within the church in all revelation. And for everyone involved to carefully review what is being said before a church so that we're not being carried away. It's not a new story. It doesn't matter if it's today. Don't care if you call yourself a charismatic church or not. It doesn't matter if it was 2,000 years ago. For tongues, Paul writes, if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. For prophecies, Paul writes, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. Now, what does this mean? Simple. It means that Paul makes it clear that the gifts of tongues and prophecies are under the control of the person with the gift. No one is compelled or overwhelmed by the Spirit to speak in tongues or prophesy in front of a congregation. If someone says that they feel like they just have this feeling where they want to shout and jump and slap people into their chairs and say that this is the 
inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I will be the first one to question what on earth they are doing. Yes, King David danced before the Lord in 2 Samuel chapter 6 with all his might. No, we can never ever use that reference to justify anything about the outbursts of spiritual gifts. Why? Because the proper study of scripture, again, tells us that King David's dancing was acceptable in context. The Ark of the Covenant was being brought back to Jerusalem. There was a grand parade. David's actions were sanctioned, appropriate, and beautiful. Not some artistic outpouring of religious liberty. Now, do not take this as me saying that churches should quench the spirit or dispel creativity. What I am saying is that God is never ruled by impulse, and his followers need to be the same. We worship a God of order, and therefore, an orderly foundation needs to be built. What is the Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? What does the Spirit like or dislike? What are the differences between someone inspired by the Holy Spirit and someone possessed by demons? Now, in this modern age, this is more relevant. How about someone who is just pretending? What about the one who managed to even fool himself into believing that the Spirit has come upon him? Now tell me, what are some of the common ways that our God responds to us? And how do we know it's really him and not just our minds convincing ourselves that the heavens are on our side? Let's not talk about the finer details of spiritual gifts before we agree that we're talking about the same spirit. God is not some human-affirmed existence that twists and turns like clay according to our thoughts, but a God who always has been and will continue to be eternal and everlasting, whether or not you exist. And by his grace, his revelation, we are able to come into a personal knowledge of him. Now, friendly reminder that the phrase, God works in mysterious ways, doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible. Now, most certainly, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 to 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts, your thoughts. These are good verses, a good reminder that man's wisdom and foresight are nothing compared to the mind and plans of God. 
Now, the problem happens when someone takes the idea that God works in mysterious ways in the wrong context and uses it to justify unscriptural nonsense. God is not some wispy ghost that fearfully hides from man. The entirety of the Bible, should one read it, testifies that God instead actively, compassionately reveals himself to all of mankind. But humanity would rather gouge out its own eyes and walk in self-mystification than to understand the nature behind revelation. I want to bring up a good case study from church history. Tertullian, Tertullian was an early Christian church leader who lived through the second and third century. From Carthage, the center of the Roman province of Africa. In short, because I know I'm already losing a lot of interest, he wrote a lot. And he became known as the founder of Western theology. Tertullian was the first writer in Latin to use the term Trinity. So he is worth remembering. In one of his writings, The Treaties of the Soul, he describes how his church handled people with spiritual gifts. I'll read out an excerpt. We have now among us a sister whose lot it has been to be favored with sundry gifts of revelation, where she experiences in the spirit by ecstatic vision amidst the sacred rites of the Lord's day in the church. She converses with angels and sometimes even with the Lord. She both sees and hears mysterious communication. Some men's hearts she understands, and to those who are in need she distributes remedies. Whether it be in the reading of the scriptures, or the chanting of psalms, or in the preaching of sermons, or in the offering of prayers, in all these religious services, matter, and opportunity are afforded to her of seeing visions. After the people are dismissed at the conclusion of the sacred services, she is in need. She is in the regular habit of reporting to us whatever she may have seen in her vision. For all her communications are examined by the most scrupulous care in order that their truth may be probed. The apostle most assuredly foretold that there were to be spiritual gifts in the church. In summary, the church committee from a little less than 2,000 years ago had an established method on how to treat people who wanted to exercise their spiritual gifts while tempering this with biblical evaluation. So what's happening here? We have a sister who prophesizes. I think everybody understood that. Her gift is very strong and detailed, and she can do much good in the community especially with her insight into the hearts of individuals in the committee. However, this, this sister has the presence of mind 
to let the service run. She doesn't shout out her revelations or dance around like a mad woman whenever it comes to her, even though they may be the words of God itself. She instead ex exercises admirable control, despite the profoundness of her gift. She waits until the General Assembly is over. Then she reports what she sees and hears to the church leadership. Now, as for the other party, their expectations of the church leadership. The leaders listen. They do not immediately dismiss the word the sister shares. And on the flip side, they do not immediately act upon the words that are said. They contemplate, they review, they test the truth against scripture, the words of the apostles, with care in each report. Even if they have known the sister and can vouch for her based on past experiences, this requires Christian education, a standard exercise in the wisdom and judgment of the church on both sides, applicable in the time of the apostles and long after their time to here and now in modern times. When a congregation or movement is primarily driven by spiritual gifts as the reason for their revival, instead of delight in the scripture as our foundation in our study and knowledge of God, that is when our Bibles become replaced by diaries filled with the hidden hopes and desires of our hearts, spoken into being by someone else. I actually really valued my old notebook filled with so many prophecies by the old prophets and whatever, even if 90%, even if all of it was fake, because I wanted to dial a prophet whether on that day, whether tomorrow, or a thousand years from now. The immediacy of the spiritual experience appealed to me, and I think it appeals to a lot of people. And that appeal is wrong. We stop reading and studying verses. We stop memorizing, because who has time to memorize? We don't reflect. It's good enough to read, isn't it? We say to ourselves, we're not intellectual. Our minds aren't sharp. Christianity isn't complicated, only meant to be pure in form. We listen to an upstanding speaker without cross-checking against the scriptures. We believe we can take in the words of a slightly more enlightened one, and then, thus, we believe in heresy. Heretics aren't just a byword. There are plenty in this day and age. Let's not overestimate our own powers of discernment. There is a saying in Asia that there are 3,000 ways in the world, meaning that there are countless methods and philosophy one can study. I'll tell you as a rule, for Christians, our hearts only need one. 
Genuine study of scripture is important. We cannot just settle for listening to sermons on Sunday mornings. Why? Because the study of God's written words is a safeguard. A revelation results from your own efforts to learn more about it. It strengthens our minds, our spirits, guards us from false teaching, deepens our discernment, and helps us to fulfill our life's purpose, which is to know God. Your career, your retirement, whatever, your family, is not the fulfillment of your life's purpose. Your life's purpose is to know God. We need to be reminded that special revelation does not just fall under prophecy and tongues. Know that the word of God is living and active, a miracle declared in scripture for our everyday lives and is therefore classed as special revelation. You have accessibility. You don't need to dial a prophet. The earthly life of Jesus Christ is the greatest special revelation for imparts the knowledge of God salvation, atonement, and transformation of Christians. Now, I'll tell you now, if you're bored of listening and hearing about the resurrection, I'm telling you that any further revelations of God, whether by great thunder or quiet whispers, will be meaningless. People say, hey, if God just showed up in a flash of lightning, of course, my life will be changed. But if you're already bored about listening about the resurrection story, it doesn't matter if a whole host of angels showed up in front of you. In all revelation, we seek a deepening of our personal knowledge of God. We're not looking for some heavenly clown festival for your entertainment. The longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm chapter 119, dedicated to the glory of God and his written word. The author is unnamed, although we'll, cons we'll traditionally consider it to be King David. I'll read a handful of verses from Psalm chapter 119, verses 10 to 24. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statues as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Be good to your servant while I live that I may obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing 
for your laws at all times. You rebuke the arrogant who are cursed, those who stray from your commands. Remove from me their scorn and contempt, for I keep your statues. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servants will meditate on your decrees. Your statues are my delight. They are my counselors. This psalmist integrates the word of God in his heart. To be clear, he memorizes it, something we don't do these days. It is for his benefit. He knows what to avoid, so that not only is he being kept from sin, but his life is being improved in quality. Do not look down on the psalm for being poetic or for the offer being limited only to the Old Testament at the time. Do not feel uncomfortable if you hear terms like law or decrees. They are just terms referencing old. They are not actually, they are not actually just terms referencing Old Testament Levitical law. They are terms used in the doctrine of scripture and even the gospel itself. The gospel itself is also known as a law. And of course, even if we do talk about Levitical laws, a Christian should not be shrinking away in fear or in misplaced pride. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I'm getting close to wrapping up. I only have a few paragraphs left on my papers. So listen up. Even 2,000 years ago, there were great teachers who spoke to huge crowds. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people would hear these teachers' words. If it was a particularly great teacher visiting the area, you can't imagine people from the next town over traveling day and night, whether alone or with a group of companions, um, just to hear the words that may change their lives for good. But, you know, there is no status or prize for simply hearing the words. Even if they showed up every day of the week to listen to this visiting teacher, 
Only those who stepped out of the crowd publicly in front of everyone, unashamedly, and without the slightest pride in themselves, and pursued the teacher, asking him, wait a second, take me with you, trying to memorize everything the teacher said, truly believing and acting upon what is said, were called the disciples of the teacher. A Christian is a follower, a disciple of Christ, as first recorded in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. I won't read it out. You can read it for yourselves. The definition is not up for debate what a Christian is. No matter how many dictionaries or speeches have been written and will be written to say otherwise, the teachings of God are the mirror reflected in your study, the deformities of life and what needs to be done. To fail to act leads into forgetfulness and you deceive yourself in your study. But for those who continue to study the scriptures with purpose and transformation, they will be blessed. The perfect law of liberty refers to the law of faith, the method and reason for our freedom from sin. In summary, the primary purpose of revelation is for us to know God and in an intelligent and personal way. The very Bible in your hands is a most reliable special revelation that often goes unstudied. If there are those who wish to exercise your spiritual gifts, it is absolutely not forbidden, but let them do so in a peaceful and considerate manner. For those who may be living a lifestyle where you may be open to dial a prophet, I urge you, with all respect and Christian love, to stop and examine yourselves. Become ever more knowledgeable so that you may be discerning, <coughs> avoiding pitfalls, and follow through what we need to do. I conclude with Romans chapter 12, verse 2, as it is written, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at www.coachhousechurch.org.